the opportunity to be with you, first of all, and then to be with one another and to, to open your word and to, to realize that, that, that this is your word and it comes to us with power. It comes to us uh, as the word that uh, accomplishes all your goodwill. And we look forward to seeing, Lord, what you have in store for us this morning. Lord, we just want to pray for um, uh, the travelers that are coming in this morning, um, Chris, Kirk, and uh, Deborah. We know they're going to be traveling today in order to get back, hopefully, for the picnic this afternoon. So just pray for traveling mercies for them now. In Jesus' name we pray. Chris and Deborah are traveling with two little tiny cook children. So we need to, it's been a long time since I've traveled with little children, but I have a slight recollection of how bad it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. They're good kids and I understand they travel well. Does anyone need a handout? If you don't have a handout, lift your hand up and we'll get you a handout. Okay. I am um, not a fan of following the news, but I turned on my telephone this week to the news. I still have trouble thinking about turning on my phone to get the news, but that's what I did. And there was a little story on there about a man in England who had worked for this estate for many years. And um, they... Um, one day, and I don't know all the details, but the man who owned the estate died. And somehow they found out that this fellow who was a hireling there, they checked his DNA, and sure enough, he was in line to inherit this $160 million estate. And so, you know, it's like trimming trees one day and owning all the trees the next, you know. And I thought, well, you know, he's, I bet he's sitting down today and, and, and has been for this week or two to, to find out what this inheritance is. You know, what, what am I, what do I, what do I expect? What do I do with this, you know? And it dawned on me about five o'clock this morning that that's kind of the situation that we're in. Only uh, $160 million We'll get that the first three, four minutes in heaven, you know. I mean, it just could be anything beyond, anything we can think of. Um, scripture says, things which you have not seen or heard, nor has entered into the heart of man. All of that God has prepared for those who love him. She didn't show up getting in men's this morning. I got one in within the first five minutes. Um, but you know, sadly enough, and I put myself in this category, we really, a lot of us really don't understand what God has done for us. We don't understand the theology behind what he has done. Um, and so it's important for us to, to continue, continually grow in our understanding of our salvation. Um, we always need to strive for a full understanding. Sometimes you, you come to a, a meeting like this 
and it's on subjects that you're familiar with. Okay? And so when you get there, you say, oh man, you talk about salvation again. I'm saved, I know that. I'm just going to tune it out and think about the picnic this afternoon. But God is continually giving us new insights. Our situations in life change, and we need different things from the Word, and God supplies those. So don't tune us out until uh, things are over with. Uh, Paul said, uh, to write the same things again is no trouble to me, but is a safeguard for you. And that's kind of where we are, you know. So we're going to be looking this morning, starting into the second half of redemption accomplished and applied. Last year, about this time, we did the redemption accomplished. We're going to just highlight that this morning and then move on. Once we are saved, when we are saved, God answers for us one of the most important questions that we have to ask. And that is, what is God's will for my life? You know, whether we've been saved a week or whether we've been saved uh, five or six decades, there is a constant answer, what does God want for my life? We're raising children. What are we going to tell them when those children come to you and say, Daddy, what is God's will for my life? Okay. God answers that in a very simple, straightforward way. God, once we're saved, God puts us on a lifelong personal growth and development path. His goal for every believer is given to us in Romans 8, 29. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. So no matter what we're doing, that is his goal, to conform us to the image of Christ. You may be a homemaker, you may be an engineer, you may be unemployed, whatever it is, that is his goal for you every single day. So we know where we're going. When, when God's plan becomes our path, he will accomplish all his good will for us. Psalms 86.11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. That needs to be our constant prayer. Psalm 86, 11. And when we walk in his truth, he will teach us his way and he will accomplish in us all that he wants. Psalm 138.8. This is a very comforting uh, verse of scripture. He says, the Lord will accomplish all that concerns me. Okay? When we get to heaven, if we if are saved, we'll get to heaven if we're not saved. If we get to heaven and God looks at our record, and I'm not saying he's going to do this because he doesn't judge us by works, but when we get to heaven, if we have walked with the Lord to the best of our ability, he promises us, according to this verse, that he will accomplish for us all his good pleasure. We're not going to get to heaven and he say, oh, I'm sorry, you missed it there. You know, 
take 10 points off. And you understand that God's not the way God judges, that's not the way God works. But God, we, when we get there, he will be completely satisfied with us because we're in Christ, because we walk with him in obedience to, to his will, to his faith. So we're going to start this morning, we're going to do a little bit of review on redemption we accomplished. Now that's what we did last year. So if you were here for last year, we'll give you a test and let you see what you remember. Uh, I had to go back because I didn't remember what was last year. But we talked about redemption accomplished. We're talking about from the time in eternity past when the Trinity decided to redeem, to, to, to uh, create man and then knowing that he would fail to redeem him. During that period of time, God set up a plan unknown to humans. He set up a plan for his people to, in order to be able to redeem them. That's what we looked at last time. And we're going to go quickly through it this morning. On page two of your handout, I think, or maybe a page, well, page one, I'm not sure. Redemptive history began as a plan within the Trinity. Okay? This is not something that happened last century or two. Or it went all the way back to the very beginning. A review real quickly of, of redemption. I, take a minute. Turn over to page three. I put something in wrong order. In the wrong place. Very bottom of my page. I don't know whether the, the Father's plan of redemption was twofold. Now I want you to keep this in mind when we go through the, what we're going to go through next. Um, first off, he had to rescue his elect from the penalty, penalty and the dominion of sin and death. So the first thing God had to accomplish was to rescue us. The second thing was to restore us to the right relationship with him. That's what he wanted to accomplish and did accomplish. In, in our redemption. Titus 2, 4 sums it all up. It says, uh, Christ Jesus gave himself for us, number one, to redeem us from every lawless deed. That's the rescue. And then to restore, he says, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So as we go through this list of of the uh, elements of redemption, uh, of um, redemption accomplished, keep those two things in, in mind. He's rescuing or he's restoring. Okay, let's look at redemption accomplished. Do this real fast because this is what we went through last year. Okay, the cause of the atonement was the love and justice of God. In dealing with man, God justly had to deal with our sins. He had to make a, a provision for our sin and then to love. So the cause of the atonement was to deal with our sins and then to express his love to us. The necessity of the atonement was to remove the guilt and the penalty for man's sin. Okay, This we saw last year. The nature of the atonement, and here's the, the crowning jewel, the substitutionary sacrifice, a savior to bear the penalty of sin in the place of sinners. Friends, if we don't have substitutionary sacrifice, we don't have salvation. 
We don't have a gospel to tell. It's all in this substitutionary atonement. I'm looking at the elders to make sure that this is going up now. All right, propitiation. God's wrath against sin had to be fully satisfied and exhausted. Okay? God's wrath had to be fully satisfied. The substitution had to pay the penalty. When we say exhausted, it means that there's not anything left to express. Now, God against a sinner, excuse me, against a, um, a, saved, a person who is saved. Remember in, in, um, in the, uh, in the um, oh, come on, brain, move it, do something. In the, uh, in the, in the garden of the sound, you remember, Christ drained the cup. There was not an ounce of God's wrath left to be expressed towards a saved person. Then we talked about reconciliation. The alienation between God and man had to be overcome. Um, Isaiah 59.2 talks about the fact that we've built up a, a wall between us and God, our sin has, and uh, he cannot hear us, but that we reconcile. Uh, redemption, those enslaved us to sin had to be ransomed by the blood of the Lamb. And then the conquest, we see where sin, death, and Satan were defeated through the resurrection power of our Savior. Each of these things we spent time on as we went through it. Uh, the sufficiency of the atonement, uh, Peter says, to provide everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything that we need has been provided for us because of the atonement. And then the extent of the atonement that, uh, was for those foreknown by the Father, to be given to the Son. Okay? So these are the, the ways that God has worked to prepare us for salvation, to provide salvation for us. Okay? So now we're going to talk about redemption applied. This will be the new stuff. God calls us to salvation in different stages of life and through different circumstances. However, the scripture teaches that there is a specific order that we that will we follow. And this is referred to as the order of salvation or auto salutis. And this will be our focus for the next six weeks. Now, I'm not saying that when you see this order, these overlap. You know, you can't say, well, she's in stage four and she's in, he's in one stage two. That's not the way it is. But it's obvious that you have to have, uh, before you can be sanctified, you've got to be justified, right? So there's got to be an aura that God follows. So we're going to be talking about, first off, we're talking about election uh, or predestination for knowledge, God's choice of some to salvation. Now, if the word election is, is, uh, is new to you or if it raises the hair on the back of your head, Stick with us, and I think that we'll, through the next weeks, we'll be able to explain to you uh, our take on that. Um, then, God's calls, plural. There's an external call and an internal call. The internal call is the effective call of regeneration. But we need to understand how God works in each of these categories. Justification is a 
declaration of our great legal standing before God. Then sweet time and adoption and union with Christ. God, someone said, God takes us out of the courtroom and puts us in the family room. You know, so we have He adopts us as His child. We have union with Christ. That should be one something that we spend a lot of time on, personally and as a church, our union with Christ and what that means. It is that's the key to our our living today. And then sanctification, the our progressive growth in holiness. God continually transforming us uh, into His image. Then we're going to look at perseverance, remaining faithful to God until final glorification with our Father in heaven. That's something that can be, um, excuse me, um, that's something that uh, would be very sweet to us. And then perseverance, uh, remaining faithful to Christ until the final glorification with our Father in heaven. Perseverance, I think, is something we're going to see challenged more and more in the times to come as, as the society and all kind of rises up against us. We're going to have to persevere. We're going to have to stick with it. Amen. That's time for an amen. That's time for an Okay. Get still on your toes now. And then final glorification um, when we bring, as we bring honor and glory to God. Now, our glorification really starts when when we first say we don't wait until you know the um, the final call up yonder before we start glorifying Him. But these things will fall into place, I think, as we as we go through. Let's look just a minute at back a little bit of background before we get into the uh, the election that we were talking about this morning. God's decree is an umbrella under which all of his perfect will is infallibly determined to come to pass. And in all his works, his sovereignty extends to the plan of, of redemption. You know, God's plans, his, his decree have certain quality, certain characteristics that are expressed in everything that he does. You know, it's kind of like the foundation on which all of his plans are made. That's what we're talking about here. There's, there's just four, I'm sure that there are many more, but there's just four we want to look at this morning. God's plans, they were determined before the creation of time, thus they are, they are eternal. Okay. Psalm 139, 16 says, In your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet they had, there was not one of them. In eternity past, God established every day that we will live. He knows what's going on in our lives. He knows what he has in store for us. And then Ephesians 1, 4, that, that verses will keep popping up, so hope you enjoy it. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Chosen before the foundation of the Lord. Eternal. God did not choose us at the moment of faith, but before the foundation of the world. It is by his doing, not ours, that we are in Christ. You know, if you understand the scripture, there's no way that you can um, 
justify anything at all on our part when it comes to salvation. That is totally, completely God's work. Okay, God's plans are eternal. Next, they are unconditional. Because God's decree was eternal, his plans are unconditional. I just said that. Each decision, which is part of his plan, is an uninfluenced, free decision made in accordance with God's good pleasure. Uninfluenced. God, no, God is, is, not, is not influenced by any outside force. He has, he does his will and um, it is a free decision on his part. Now that can't get into it here, but that, that works even when we talk in terms of our praying for things and, and desiring for it to happen because God knows um, even before we pray uh, what we're going to be asking for, or he will change our heart to bring it into conformity with his will. But his plans are eternal, they're unconditional. His plans are immutable and therefore um, efficacious, meaning that his will, his plans, have the power to produce whatever it is that he wants done. That's not, he doesn't just sit there and say, oh boy, I wish this would happen. If he wishes something to happen, he's got the power to make it happen. All, all, um, no creature can alter what God has determined to bring to pass. So the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. I love that. His plans, his will, are going to be the same from one generation to the next. And we can count on that. He's faithful. He's, he's, uh, he's true. Okay. His plans are immutable and therefore efficacious. And then the plans of God are also exhaustive. God causes all things to work together for good. This speaks not only to God's overall control, and I love this, but also to his specific and meticulous providential go governance in all things. You know, God is in work in every, every molecule. Okay? There is not a maverick molecule anywhere in his creation. He controls the whole, and he controls the I knew he controls everything and therefore we can have such great confidence in him um, and what his, his plan for us. Um, I want to, when I think about it, I want to do a disclaimer uh, on all that, that we're going to be doing over these next weeks. On the last page uh, of your handout there, there's a list of references that we use. and. Um, I don't claim anything is coming from me except if there's a mistake, that will come from me. But all, I don't know that I've ever had an original thought. I, I read, I study what I find in man that we trust, that's what I'm feeding you, okay? So um, I, I claim no, no, uh, no part of it. I don't want to do it. Eaten by worms, we're not giving God the glory, you know, so I'm going to give him the glory. 
these people that he places in our, in our lives. So what we're seeing here is that God's plans, God's decree, will always be characterized by at least these four things and other things too. And so this gives us confidence. And when we look at, at uh, we looked more at the election, when we look at these things, we understand that God has established them. It is eternal. It is unconditional. It is efficacious. It is exhaustive. And therefore, it has the strength and uh, the immutability of God behind it. God's plan for redemptive, uh, for redemption, as he worked his plan, we see unconditional election all through the scripture. It was our Father's free and sovereign design to set his love on certain individuals. That's hard to hear. It's hard to live with, but it's true. And we have to believe God's doing his work. Based, it's based on his good pleasure. He chose some to receive salvation, and others he has withheld. That is not to say that Scripture tells us that whosoever will may come. It's not a case that God, someone's coming to God and begging for salvation and they're begging for salvation and he's saying, you're not all that. That is, that is totally untrue. But there are some who do not come because they don't have a heart to. They don't have a heart. And we'll, we'll get into that later. I don't want to get, get off track. Um, First time, early on, back up, early on, I definitely did not believe in election. I thought it was one of the worst things we could ever charge God with. And I was teaching in another church, and election came up out of the audience. And um, some, I don't remember exactly, it's been 25 years ago, so I don't remember the exact details. But the election came out, and, and that was like um, gasoline on my fire. I mean, I thought, I just, I, I will never believe that. And um, a friend of mine, sitting right there, said, Joe, you do believe it but you just don't know it yet. That put me in my place. I couldn't wait for that lesson to be over. That just, what do you mean? I believe it, I don't know it yet. Well, not too long after that, Jane and I came to Calvary, and I had um, um, had Dan on one side, and Jim, my mind shot. Jim and Dan, and I mean, what, how do you get out of that, you know? <laughs> but 
they were so loving and so so, so um, patient with me. But they started showing me from Scripture that this is God's plan. And he is God and he has the right to do what he wants to do. But he is loving and, and again, who whatsoever will may come. We will talk about that more. On election, let's look at uh, MacArthur's definition from the decree of election. He says it is a free Look for key words here, okay? It is a free and sovereign choice of God made in eternity past to set his love on certain individuals and on the basis of nothing in themselves but solely because of the good pleasure of his will. He chose them to be saved from sin and damnation and to inherit the blessings of eternal life through the mediatorial work of Christ. It's a mouthful. He's talking about the free and sovereign choice of God, not based on anything within that individual, anything that he saw within that individual, but solely on the basis of his good pleasure. Election goes from Genesis to Exodus and it's as wide as path as it can get. All I want to establish with us this morning are two basic tenets in election. First off, God um, can't read my own writing here. God's sovereign loving decision. We want to see election as part of God's loving sovereign decision and the fact that it's not based on who we are or what we have done. Those are two key tenets that we need to understand as we go along. Okay, let's look at the concept of biblical election. Let me back up again. These scriptures and all that I've, I've outlined here, there's a lot of repetition in them. And that's for purpose, because again, I want to reinforce those two points. Okay, again, God's choice of certain individuals is not on the basis of anything those individuals themselves have done, but solely because of the sovereign and good pleasure of God's will. This is to say that election is unconditional. God's choice of individuals for salvation is not predicated on any virtue or worthiness that God sees in those individuals. We have, you have Dan say that when it comes to salvation, we have nothing to bring to the table but our sin. Man cannot do anything to set himself straight with God. Once he is saved, certainly we can do things that Please, God. But as far as earning our salvation, that is impossible. Again, believers belong to God based on his sovereign decree and uninfluenced choice. Saying the same thing, but I heard MacArthur say one time when he wants to make a point, he 
takes he comes at it from as many different angles as he can. Because he figures he's going to hit everybody somewhere in there. Second Timothy 1 9. Saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Yes, the key words now in these things. His own purpose and grace from all eternity. Love this election is so intimately personal that the names of those chosen by the Father have been written in the book of life from before the foundation of the world. John the Father. You know, God wrote your name and my name if we are saved. He wrote our names in the book of life before the foundation of the world. It doesn't mean he looked down the corridor and saw that Jason was going to receive him. That's, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about an intimate, personal relationship. He foresaw that. He wanted that. That's why he saved you. That's why he saved me. Matthew 25, 34 says, Come you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He's prepared a kingdom for us. Can you imagine $160 million in nothing compared to what we're going to have? He's prepared that for you and for me. And he's prepared it for us personally because he loves us. It's not just he's just all Christians, he just covered us in you know, one false swoop. It's individual. By name. He loves us. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. We should be holy and blameless before him. The greatest need we're going to have is facing, when we face God, that we can, that we can face him holy and blameless without sin. That's, that's going to be the, the time that's going to be telling on us. Are we clothed in Christ's righteousness? Do we, are we able to stand before the for a holy God. If we're chosen, if we're in him, then he's going to show us holy and blameless. He predestined us to adoption as sons. We could spend a week on adoption. That's going to be a tremendous time of encouragement. Second Thessalonians 2.13 God chose you from the beginning of the world through the sanctification of the Spirit and by faith in Christ. Romans 8, 29, whom the Father foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. 
MacArthur says Romans 8.29 speaks not of a simple knowledge of facts, but he says it's going on not just a simple knowledge of facts, but rather an intimate covenant relationship grounded on, in God's sovereign choice and marked by his favor and love. When Paul declares that God has foreknown individuals, he's indicating that God has determined to set his electing love and favor on them, setting them apart for an intimate personal relationship with himself. What glory we have waiting. And, and waiting, but not now, too. Our relationship, our intimate relationship with him will be different when we get there, but it's, it's now, too. We have his spirit that lives within us. He leads us through his word. He expresses his love for us in the way that he takes care of us and provides for us. He's a great, loving father. So how... How do I know that I'm one of God's elect? If you're not part, how how do you know? Well, at no place in the Scripture does it tell us that we need to determine whether we are saved or not, or chosen or not. The sinner's responsibility is not to discern the secret counsels of God's decree but rather to heed the clear commands of Scripture to repent and believe the gospel. That's where we need to focus. That's where we get the assurance of our salvation. Okay? If we're unsure, we need to get into the Word and let the Spirit lead us. God's words promises first, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but passes out of death into life. So we hear his word, we believe him, okay, and he will give us eternal life. He will, he will cleanse us and forgive us of our sins. This is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life and I myself will raise him up on the last day. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. God consistently, eternally calls us to himself. And and we um, we need to pray for those around us that perhaps are not showing evidences of, of salvation. We need to pray for them that God will give them a heart that will, will respond to his calling. God does not take pleasure in, in wickedness or he doesn't take pleasure in sending anyone to hell or sending anyone to go to hell. He puts that call out there. God's invitation to us, he says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, 
and my burden is light. To come to him, we have to acknowledge that we're sinners, that there's salvation in no other. We must have a willingness in our heart to return, to repent, to turn from what we're doing, to repent, place our faith in him and ask him for forgiveness. God has set before us an opportunity to walk in obedience in this life to his glory and to to help those around us. Someone told me this morning that um, a father who is, is not a believer has made comments about the change that they have seen in this individual, this daughter. And that's where it's at. People have to see us walking with the Lord. They need to see us being obedient to the to the Word, open to the Word, and God will use that testimony in the lives of people all around us to draw people to Himself. Okay. Well, that's what we have for us tomorrow. Next week, we're going to look at the God's calling, both external and internal. I think it's going to be a, a, a important lesson.